church YouTube channel. So you just go in YouTube and type in West Ward Church of God and it'll, it'll pop up there. And I uh, need you to do two things. I need you to like it. I need you to subscribe to it. So if you like it and subscribe to it, that helps us get that out there. And it actually features uh, our videos with the brand new technology. You can, you can hear it well. Uh, it's in HD, and I look spectacular in HD. Although remember that the camera adds 10 pounds. I'm just saying, just remember that. The camera adds 10 pounds, especially in this area right here. I don't know how it does that. but uh, Now, on Facebook Live, we do not yet have uh, our good videos on Facebook Live yet because we are actually having to upgrade our internet service in order enough to have uh, enough uh, bandwidth to upload the high quality video. The higher the quality the video, the more bandwidth it takes. So we are in the process of upgrading our internet so that we can handle that. So we'll be putting it out on Facebook Live as soon as we can get that because the, we, we've had a lot of people look at our Facebook Live uh, but the universal complaint is we can't hear it. And the reason I can't hear it is because we've been videotaping it on a phone in the back of the room. And that's the reason that we can't, uh, can't hear it. And that's also the reason that I'm wearing a lapel mic now instead of this mic where I go up and down with. I, don't, I actually hate this lapel mic. I don't know what to do with my hands without my microphone in it. So. But, uh, but anyway, uh, we're, trying, we're trying to get that out there. So be patient with us. I don't know if you've ever tried to upgrade your internet service or not, but when you're a business, it takes like a month and a half process. It is a long process. They can't just mash a button and do it because we're actually bringing a fiber in uh, to, uh, to West Ward to upgrade that. So anyway, that's a commercial. Uh, please, if you will, like those things for us. All right, turn in your Bible to Psalm 130. Psalm one thirty. As you turn in there, let me say a little about Psalm one thirty. Psalm one thirty is uh, one of a collection of psalms that bears the uh, the notice that it is a song of ascents, a song of ascents. And what many scholars believe is is that as worshippers were going up the mountain to the temple or going up the steps into the temple as they were ascending, they would sing these group of songs on their way to worship. And that's what a song of ascents is. But I also want you to think of that it is a song of when you're down in the dumps, it helps to get you to the mountaintop. It helps to get you beyond. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Psalm 130, starting in verse 1, a song of ascents. Out of the depths have I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
I want to speak to you on the subject, a song of ascent. A song of ascent. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going up. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love you and we need you. God, I am seeking you for the anointing of your spirit, the unction and the empowerment of your spirit upon the speaker, but also, dear God, the ability of your spirit to break up the fallow ground of our hearts and, Lord, cause the seed of your word to be implanted and to grow and bring forth fruit. I'm asking you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word today. How many of you have ever seen the movie that came out, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago now, called Castaway? Anybody ever seen that movie? A few of you. If you don't know what that movie is about, Tom Hanks, there he is behind you, Tom Hanks played, or in front of you, Tom Hanks played a guy by the name of Chuck Nolan, who was a FedEx executive, and he had to, he was very, very busy, he had to catch a plane, and the plane crashed, and he was the sole survivor, and he finds himself stranded on an uncharted island. He's right by himself, and he spent four years on this uncharted island, and he found uh, out how to survive in very, very crude ways, and, and he was a spectacular actor uh, in that movie, did a, a terrific job. Uh, anytime that you can hold the, state, the, the, the frame right by yourself and don't have anybody to talk to and people are hanging on your every word and every movement, you've done something. But in his loneliness, the character creates someone to talk to. He finds what I think is a, a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, and he actually put a bloody handprint on that volleyball and drew a little smiley face, and he named it Wilson. That was the name on the ball. And he talks the whole movie to Wilson. And then after some wreckage washes up on shore, uh, he actually builds him a crude raft and knows he's never going to be rescued. So he sets out on this crude raft, and he brings his friend Wilson with him. And he falls asleep on the raft and he wakes up and Wilson is nowhere to be found. And Wilson is floating just out of his reach. And he swims toward Wilson. And again, this was spectacular uh, uh, acting when you can get people to be emotionally invested on him losing a volleyball. <laughs> but he did it. He got you emotionally invested because of the pain and the agony and the desperation that he felt because that had been his only friend. And he was absolutely, totally heartbroken and desperate. Now that's the kind of emotion that you hear in Psalm 130. Lord, out of the depths have I cried to you. In absolute isolation, desperation, I cried to you out of the depths. The term out of the depths in scripture almost always refers to the depths of the sea, the depths of the ocean. And there's so many word pictures that come to our mind about being in the depths. In fact, uh, the contemporary English version says it this way, from the sea of troubles, I cry on you. I cry out to you. It's being overwhelmed by troubles. One of the pictures that you bring in your mind of my troubles flooding in on me. The water's rising. 
You remember Johnny Cash singing, how high is the water, mama? <laughs> Three feet high and rising. The water's just rising around us. Our troubles are overwhelming us. Our troubles are flooding us. Out of the depths can also bring to our mind the word picture of a stormy sea. Our little vessel like the, like the uh, disciples out on the stormy sea when Jesus walked on the water or when he was asleep in the boat. It's just tossing our little vessel to it. Anybody ever been tossed on the troubles of life? Up and down and lightning flashing and thunder rolling? Water washing over the bridge? The stormy sea. Or from the depths can also mean the opposite of that. It can mean when there's no wind in your sails. It can mean when you're stuck in the doldrums. When you're, as Coleridge said, you're like a painted ship on a painted ocean. You're just stuck in the doldrums. Now, when you cry out to the Lord from the depths, when you're in trouble and in uh, perils of finances or in the throes of some kind of sickness or disease, that's like a storm. But what about when you're depressed? What about when you're down, when you're lonely? And life is stuck. You're from the depths then as well. There's no wind in the sails. Uh, the picture of it is, is almost like somebody stuck on a life raft out in the middle of the ocean and you don't know if anybody's going to find you. There's actually a technical word for the fear of the ocean. It's called thalassophobia. And I think that it, there are times I'm a little thalassophobic among all my other problems. I like, when we, we don't go to the beach because we're church God people, but when we go to the ocean, <laughs> when we go to the ocean, Crystal wants to sit on the, on the shore <clears throat> and read a book. Not me, I'm either in the water or I'm in the room. <laughs> I'm not going to lay out there in the sand. I'm not going to lay out there and roast. And bar I, I laid out there one time and several people gathered around me tried to push me back in the ocean. They said, let's rescue this whale. <laughs> not quite. But when I'm out in the ocean, I get to looking at the vastness of the ocean. And it, it's, it, it is a fear of mine of being stuck in the middle of the ocean. I would be desperate stuck in the ocean. So I think we all have that sense of whatever it is. I know my dad used to, this is the kind of wonderful father I had. When I was a little boy, he used to take me and lay me down on the floor and take his leg and put it over my throat in the crook of his, of his knee there. and just He wouldn't do it where it would hurt me. It was just where I couldn't get up, and I would squirm, and I would call out, and he'd laugh, and I would just get so claustrophobic. And that's kind of the way this is, the desperation of troubles surrounding you, and there seems to be no way out from the depths of despair. I've cried out to you. And I'm begging you, Lord, verse 2, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. God, I'm crying out. Is there anybody up there listening? Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt that kind of desperations when trouble comes? We all do from time to time. That's the cry. But then there is the confession, and we find out from the psalmist that his problem is not help. It's not sickness. We find out that his problem, his sense of isolation from God and others is not caused because he's having trouble on his job. It's not marriage problems that's causing him the despair. We find out that the root of his problem is sin. 
There's a confession that goes on. If you, verse 3, if you, Lord, would mark my iniquities, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Contemporary English version says it. If you kept a record of our sin, no one could last long. His problem was that his conscience was bothered. I don't know how, how uh, relevant this sermon is to a lot of people today because it seems that people sin with absolute impunity. It seems that sin doesn't bother people anymore, including Christians. It seems like that our conscience has been so seared by the waywardness of this world that we don't take sin seriously. But I'm going to tell you for the heart that is after God, sin is absolutely a crushing burden. For the person who is sincere in their relationship with God, they cannot bear even the thought of their sin separating them from God. And so there are sleepless nights and tear-stained pillows when there's something standing in between us and our maker. This psalmist said, this, this problem that I have, this, this sea that's surrounding me is a sea of guilt. And so he confesses his sin. Sin, whether you know it or not, is the biggest problem. It's the biggest problem facing the world today and it's the biggest problem that you and I have. Sin is the problem. It is a crushing burden. And the psalmist said, Lord, if you were to give me a report card and you were to keep a track, a record of my sin, there's nobody that would make an A. There's nobody that would pass. There's every, everybody would get an F. If everything we'd ever said or done or thought we're broadcasting up on this big screen today. There's not a one of us that wouldn't slink out of here with our head hanging uh, loose among our shoulders because of the shame, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If God marked sin, all of us would get a failing report card. My dad keeps records of things. He, he, is, he is not... He's not a pack rack at all, but he does like to keep very specific folders and records of things that happened 50 years ago. And uh, one day I was at his house and he brought out a, a uh, report card of mine and I looked at it. I was just this side of sitting in the corner drooling. I didn't realize I was as big an idiot as I thought I was, as I am. I mean, I, my grades were horrid. They were terrible. Uh, one, one fella, uh, one young man brought his uh, report card home to his daddy, and his daddy said, son, well, the good news is, with grades like this, I know you ain't cheating. <laughs> right? I'm reminded of the story of the little boy that was in about the fifth grade or, or so, and he just went through a time that he got kind of rebellious and had gotten kind of uh, nonchalant when it came to his work. He was hanging out with a rough group of boys. He let his homework slip. It was a reversal of the kind of student that he had been during the grades. His, his, his uh, teacher looked at his grades and in his past record. And he always done pretty good in school. But fifth grade, I don't know if he was 
starting adolescence or what, but something happened to him that he just, he just wasn't giving it his all. He wasn't trying. He was, and the teacher set him down and said, son, your, your work is terrible. You're not turning in your homework. And you, you, you've made some Fs. You're better than this. This is not the kind of young man you are. It's not the kind of student that, that, that you've been or that you can be. And the teacher said, you, you know that at midterm, your mom and daddy are going to come into this classroom and I've got a file of all of your grades and I'm going to open the file and I'm going to show it to your mom and daddy. Do you want your mom and daddy to be proud of you or do you want your mom and daddy to be ashamed of you? And the young man, it, it cut his heart. He, he, tears formed in his eyes. He answered with a whispered answer. He said to the teacher, I want mom and daddy to be proud of me. She said, well, son, it ain't too late for you to turn it around. Boy, he, he made a change. It got to him. He started doing his homework. He started studying. He started making all A's. But when it came time for midterm, and it came time for the parent-teacher conference and he was to go in. He said, I'm so glad that I turned it around, but I'm still so ashamed that mom and dad's going to see all them failing grades that I had from the first part of the year. And so he couldn't help it. He had a lump in his throat when the teacher brought out the file and opened the file. And he peered up over his daddy's shoulder and he saw that every paper that the teacher had in the folder started after he made the turnaround. They were all A's, all of the F's, all the bad grades had been thrown out of the file. And aren't you glad that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the file that the Heavenly Father has on me is not the file that contains all of my failures. It's the file that has been sponged by the grace of God. If he, if he kept right a record of our sins, if he kept track of our sins, nobody could stand. Now this does not mean that God ignores sin. It doesn't mean he ignores sin. It does mean he forgives sin. Right? In fact, that's what the next verse said. But there is forgiveness with you. Yeah, I did it. Yes, I was guilty. Yes, I flunked. Yes, I failed. But you forgive sins that you may be feared. This, this word fear doesn't mean the terror of the Lord. It means the awesomeness of the Lord. I want to take my kids to the Grand Canyon. I've already taken them to Niagara Falls. And in those places of great natural beauty, there's also a great amount of danger. And you look over those falls and you know the fall would be certain death. Or you peer over uh, uh, in the Grand Canyon and you know the fall would be certain death. But yet you're so attracted because of the awesome beauty. And you know what the word breathtaking means when you stand at the Grand Canyon. You can't help but to take a breath. And that's what it means by the fear of the Lord here that is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean the terror of the Lord. It means that when I consider how great 
and how majestic and how big my God is and yet that God is concerned with me and loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son to pay my sin debt, to die in my stead and he has accepted me in the beloved. It makes me just stand in reverence and awe and my mouth hanging open, gaping at the majesty and the mercy of Almighty God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, amen. So you had the cry and you had the, the confession and then here the psalmist enters into a time that he talks about his concentration. What he's got his mind on. He concentrates on the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I hope. Can I tell you that as a Christian who has confessed his sins to God and confesses his sins, you know, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. So confession is a way of life for a child of God. It's not a, a one-up and, and you're done. We continue to confess our faults and failings and sometimes transgressions and sins to him and continue to get his cleansing but listen, you've got more than just a fresh, clean feeling to go on. It's a wearisome thing when people come to the altar and weep their way through to feeling better. Right? We don't come to the altar or nearby our bed and cry our way through to feeling better. We cry our way through to repentance of sins which means to spurn and to turn, to reject our sin and stop walking in the way of the devil and start walking in the way of the Lord. We reject sin. That is to repent, to return around, to change our mind, to change our way of living. And it's more than just a fresh, clean feeling that we have to go on. I feel better about it. No, what I've got is the absolute anchor and rock of the word of God that says he is faithful to forgive my sins. He will wash me from my sins in his blood. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have the word of God to go on. I have the promises of God. Corey Ten Boom, who had suffered in a Nazi, a Nazi concentration camp and became an evangelist, Later in life, Corey Timboon said whenever Satan would come against her, accusing her, she would sit down and take the word of God and write it on a slip of paper like it's a check drawn on a bank. She would write down the word of God on a, on a check, so to speak, and just act like she was handing it to the devil and saying that, that, you're, that debt you're talking about has been paid in full. I'm going to tell you, you've got a check on the bank of heaven and he never has an overdraft. He's got mercy and despair and where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And not only does he have mercy, he has healing power. He has the grace of God. He has the opportunity to lift you out of the doldrums. He'll do whatever you need him to do. You can trust him because he has given us more than just a feeling he has given us his word and I'm going to tell you when he signs his name it's a done deal I wait yeah give him a hand clap of praise I wait oh Lord I wait on you and I wait on your word 
Verse six, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those that watch for the morning. One version of scripture says this, I wait for you more eagerly, eagerly than a soldier on guard duty waits for the dawn. Can you imagine that soldier out there on guard duty all night long? It cold and damp, misty, and he's just waiting there and waiting there, and he keeps his eyes, keeps searching the horizon. He knows that his responsibility will be over whenever he sees the dawn breaking on the horizon. And so he begins to concentrate on that horizon. That's what the psalmist said, like the watchman on the wall that's looking for the breaking of the sun. That's my eyes are on you, Lord, and I'm looking for you to rise over the horizon. I'm looking, as Malachi said, for the son of righteousness to rise with healing in his wings. Ira Sankey, in 1862, was a Union soldier and he was standing guard in the middle of the night. And I guess to pass the time, he started singing a hymn. And he had a beautiful voice. The hymn said, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For, for our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast brought us. Thine we are, blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. We are thine who thou befriendest, be the guardian of our way. He sung that in the middle of the night. About 15 years went by and he found himself in 1876 on a ship going up the Delaware River. It was Christmas Eve. And some of the passengers recognized him because Ira Sankey went on to be a famous song leader, worship leader for D.L. Moody. He's very famous in his day and very well known. And some of the people on board the ship recognized him. They said, it's Brother Sankey. And on that starlit, crisp, cool, starlit Christmas Eve night there on the ship, on that boat, they said, Brother Sankey, will you sing a song for us? He said, yes. And so leaning against one of the big funnels of the ship, he looked out at him and he took a moment. He was still and silent for a moment, almost like a silent prayer. It was Christmas Eve, he had wanted to sing a Christmas song, but he decided just something about what he felt in his spirit, he decided to sing this old song, Savior like a shepherd lead us, be the guardian of our way. And as he sang that beautiful song and it just rolled down that ship, everybody was moved, there was stillness and quietness and one man stepped forward and said, Mr. Sankey, were you ever in the Union Army? He said, yes, I was. He said, did you ever stand guard duty on a, on a crisp, cool, starry night, moonlit night? He said, yes, I did. He said, well, I was there too. He said, well, well, well where were you? He said, oh, 
I was a Confederate soldier. I was hiding in the woods. And I saw you standing in the moonlight on guard duty. And I raised my musket and I said, this Yankee ain't going to get away from me. But just as I was about to pull the trigger, I heard you singing the same song that you sang tonight. And I said, well, I can wait till he gets through singing before I, he ain't going anywhere and neither am I before I take his life. He said, but when you got to that line about be the guardian of our way, I thought, you know, I'm not going to kill him. My mother used to sing that song to me. And he said, I was so moved by it. And I got to thinking that if the Lord, your shepherd, could spare your life that night, then maybe there was something to this religion after all. He said, but Mr. Sankey, all these years I've searched and I've never found that shepherd. He said, I recognized you tonight when you started to sing. And when you started to sing that song, it moved me one more time. And Ira Sankey wrapped his arms around that old veteran and led him to the shepherd. I want you to know that while you are in the middle of the night, while everything is dark around you and you are standing watch, while you can't see God, God can see you. And God works the night shift. Uh, the psalmist also said, 121, 2 through 4, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He, will keep you, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God works the night shift. In fact, he can see in the dark. That's what Psalm 139 says, starting in verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my way and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways, for there's not a word on my tongue. But behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even then the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light both are alike to you. The Lord will keep you in the night watches. But can I tell you, he'll do more than just be with you and watch you and comfort you in the night. But can I tell you that morning's coming? Can I tell you that the night's going to not last always? Can I tell you that his anger endures but for a moment and in his, uh, in his mercy and pleasure there is light and weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning. Can I tell you that Ecclesiastes 1.5 says, yeah, the sun goes down, but the sun also rises. Can I remind you, of how, as I've done often, that the sun really never stops shining? 
that all, all that happens is that our world turns and we can't see it. But if you'll hold on, the world will keep turning and the sun will shine again. Can I remind you that even to the Jews to this day, Sabbath day doesn't start at sunrise, it starts at moonrise. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't say, and the morning and the evening were the first day. He said, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And we think of day ending in night, but God thinks of night ending in day. And yes, I've lived almost 51 years, and I have never seen a day that did not end in the darkness of night. Can I tell you, I have also never seen a night that did not end with the brilliance of dawn. And if you'll hold on, God will lift you up out of the darkness and he will come to you and you just got to wait and concentrate and eagerly await the breaking of the sun. You remember Paul and his companions? They were in a storm at sea and the boat was rocking and they unloaded everything they could off the boat and then the Bible says they cast four anchors out of the stern and sat there and wished for the day. I'm gonna tell you that there's sometimes in your Christian experience that all you can do is do all that you know to do and then anchor yourself in the promises of God and anchor yourself in the presence of God and then sit there and wait and search the horizon and can I tell you that night will not last always but the sun is coming up in the morning and every tear is going to be wiped from our eye and this old clay is going to give way to victory and like an eagle we'll rise up and fly. Amen. That's what that old song says. Once again, once again I faced Satan this morning and I battled him all the day long but in my weakness God brought reinforcements and at sundown I sang victory song and the sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from our eye. Amen. And this old clay is going to give way to victory. And like an eagle, I'll rise up and fight. That concentration on the Lord and his love is what gives us confidence. You can have confidence in life. O Israel, verse 7, hope in the Lord. You know what hope is, right? Biblically, hope is confident expectation. That's what hope is. It's not a wish. It's not what I hope you, you get to feeling better. It is a confident expectation that God will live up to his word. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Why do we have hope? Because the redemption that Jesus brings. I know we, we use the term redemption like it's just a, another word for salvation. We kind of use all those words, you know, interchangeably, but they all mean something different. And to redeem something literally means to buy it back. There's a story told of Abraham Lincoln, and I found it on the internet, so it has to be true. 
But there's a story told of Abraham Lincoln that during the height of the Civil War, he went down to a slave or pre-Civil War. He went down to a slave block and there was a little slave girl on the block and he bid on her. And he won the bid. And the little slave girl glared at him with a combination of fear and hatred. No doubt thinking to herself, there's just another white master that's going to abuse me, perhaps molest me, beat me, use me. But when she met Lincoln, he said to her, you're free. She said, what does that mean? He said, that, that means that you are free to say anything you want to say. She said, I can say anything I want to say. He said, yes, you're free. She said, what does freedom mean? He said, you're free to think anything that you want to think. You're telling me I can think anything I want to think? Yes, yes. You're free. Now when you say I'm free, I'm free what, what do you mean? That means you can go anywhere you want to go. She said, you're telling me that my freedom means I can go anywhere I want to go. He said, yes, you're free. She said, well, I want to go with you. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus bought us back. And when I think of the price that he paid to redeem me from Satan and sin. It makes me want to say, Lord, I want to go with you. Would you stand? Father, in the precious name of your son, Jesus, Oh, Lord, draw us to yourself today. Draw us to you, Lord. Arrest hearts, oh God. Grip them. Lord, help us to look to you like the watchman eagerly waits on the dawn. Your bowels bowed and eyes are closed, and Christians are praying. If you're here and you know that you're saved, those of you that are here, if you know you're saved, lift your hand. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Now, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, never trusted him for salvation, lift your hand. So that, that's me, I've never trusted him. Never asked him to save me. All right, now here, here's the one that's, that's kind of tricky. But I, I'm going to ask you 
to not worry about what your faults on the matter may be. I want you to listen to the Spirit of God of where He's telling you you are. If you're here today and you, you would say, I know that I've accepted Jesus as my Savior at some point in the past. I, I did that. But my heart's telling me today I'm not right with God. I feel like that man on the raft. I feel surrounded by my sin, surrounded by my troubles. And I'm crying out to the Lord today to rescue me. If that's you, lift your hand. Praise the Lord. Would you look at me today? When I look at your faces, because I know so many of you know you so well, I know there are people here that have concerns that I'm not aware of. In fact, there are people here that have some concerns that nobody's aware of except them and God. But I also see a lot of people that I know you're going through some issues. I know there are some very, some heartaches, some headaches. I know there are people that are going through some major health issues. Listen, our God is not a God that like is really good at saving people but that's all he's able to do. He's just mediocre at best when it comes to diseases or when it comes to emotional problems or relationship problems. Our God is a a God that's just as good a healer as he is a savior. He's just as good a counselor as he is a savior. Amen. He has the answer to all of our needs. So whatever sea of trouble you find yourself on, why don't you cry out to him today? I want to ask you to come from across this building. Let's kneel or stand in these altars and let's seek God together because listen to me, take, take hope. The sun is coming up in the morning. Come on from all over the building. Amen.